0: Okay, very good morning to you. Grab a seat, grab your donut. We need to crack on. I've got loads to get through this morning, so otherwise you'll be here all day. My name's Neil. I'm married to the wonderful Kate. Thank you, and together we lead this church. Uh, Attempt to. As Kate said, if you're new or visiting, um, do go and see the team at the back. We'd love to connect you with this part of the body of Christ or some other part of the body of Christ. So so do, um, go, do go and have a chat with them. If you've got a Bible, in the meantime, why don't you turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, first book in the Bible, first chapter in the Bible. And the run-up to the summer, um, if you were around over the summer, you may recall that uh, we spent some time on, a, on Sunday mornings uh, talking about the Bible. And it was an attempt to put the Bible um, front and center. And we asked a whole bunch of different seri- uh, a series of different questions. We asked Um, what is uh, the Bible. Um, And we we kind of discovered that it's it's actually a a library of books. Uh, It's both uh, divine and uh, human. It tells this, the whole thing tells this unified story, all of it leading to and pointing towards um, Jesus. We attempted to tackle uh, violence in the Old Testament and asked ourselves the question, you know, what's What's all that about? I'm not quite sure how well we did that, but we attempted it at least. Uh, we talked about uh, what the Bible is for, you know, as the Bible tells us this story. It tells this story. It tells us the story of God. It tells us the story of ourselves as we are shaped as the people of God into the image of Jesus. We touched on how we read uh, the Bible, um, and we might do that slowly and intentionally and choosing to be obedient to the the Word of God. And and then what we did actually was uh, we revisited all of that over the six weeks of summer, if you remember, and we revisited all of those themes in a slightly different and a slightly more uh, interactive format. And so with that kind of under our belt a little bit as a bit of a backdrop, and with the new year underway, I wanted us to sort of turn our attention to the Scriptures um, themselves over the coming Few weeks, and specifically, we're going to start looking at the story of the Bible. Um, after all, that's exactly what this library, this collection of books, is. It's a, it's a story. It's this unified story, all of which points towards Jesus. And so, over the next few weeks, again, this might be a bold undertaking, but we're going to attempt an overview of the Scriptures. You know, the whole story, the whole sort of narrative. Arc, um, and attempt to break it down into sort of six bite-sized chunks six pieces so this morning we'll begin uh, with creation <laughs> which is why you're going to be here for a long time uh, w- w- which is where the kingdom begins and then we'll next week we'll look at the fall uh, which is where um, it all falls apart uh, the kingdom rebels, uh, that's, that's all happens in the first three chapters. Uh, then we'll have a look at Israel, Israel, which is where the kingdom begins again, if you like. And then we'll look at Jesus, where the king comes with his kingdom, and then we'll look at the church, as we see the kingdom spreading to the whole world, and then finally we'll look at new creation as the king returns, the king comes back and rules and reigns forever and ever, we get to worship night and day, day and night, we will worship that makes sense so uh, to begin with we want to begin and start the story of god precisely where the bible begins which is um, with god so genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says a very familiar uh, line for us all in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth now before i kind of get into everything else that follows i just want to think about those opening four words in the beginning god there's no introduction, there's no prologue, there's no argument for God's existence, there's no explanation, there's kind of no nothing, it's just in the beginning, God. And these opening words tell us that this is God's story, um, and in the chapters that follow there's really like a lot that needs to be said. We need, we need more, we want more, we desire more explanation, more contextualization, more Unpacking, And, you know, you think about it, I was thinking about it as I was preparing for this. You know, It's quite a responsibility for the writer of Genesis capturing the beginning of all things and trying to do that justice. You know, um, it's easy to pick holes in uh, their account and things that we think that they've left out. But I don't think I would have fancied that task. And when you're telling the story of creation, there's a lot that you need to say. That's, there's a lot... In there. But um, as we approach this, particularly this topic, what's important for us um, as we embark on this adventure and endeavor to try and wrap our heads around, uh, particularly the creation story, is what the creation story, the creation narrative, is not trying to say. And in order to work out what it's not trying to say, all of that takes quite a bit of work. Um, just in case you hadn't noticed, like much of the Bible, none of this is straightforward. This is not easy, no matter who tells you that it is and tells you that it's all very straightforward. It's not. It's not straightforward. One of the things that becomes pretty clear when we start the hard work of digging into the scriptures is that whilst it may be the case that the Bible is written for us, it isn't written to us. It's written for us, but it's not written to us, and that kind of maybe sounds a bit obvious, but what it means is that we're going to have to read it through um, a, a different set of lenses to the ones that perhaps we're used to using. It's a little bit like, I was thinking about this, it's a little bit like reading someone else's diary or someone else's journal. You know, and it's okay, they've, they've kind of let you read it, um, we're allowed to, but um, it's not straightforward. There's all these kind of references and things that they understand, but that to an outsider just seem a little bit opaque, and it's like we're trying to wrestle with and grapple with. What do they mean there? What does that mean? What's that actually about? Uh, You see, the writer doesn't know us. The writer doesn't know what life in the 21st century looks like. Instead, we've got to remember that they're addressing their audience in their culture through their language, uh, focusing on their concerns. And so as we approach all of the Bible, particularly this Genesis sort of creative narrative, if we're even going to get trying Close to what the writer's getting at. We have to go to the writer without expecting the writer to come to us. And as I said, all of that takes um, time and energy and tools and resources and the entire community of God. This is why we come to this together and try and grapple this together um, as we try to understand and come to terms with what it is that actually God's trying to say through the Scriptures. So the first thing really I want to say is that as we approach this, we need to do so with um, humility and an open desire to try and actually understand some at least of what the writer's trying to say. As we approach the Bible, we need to remember that it is a cross-cultural experience, a cross-cultural encounter. And that begins on the first page, on the first line of the first story. So with all of that in mind, let's have a look. Chapter 1 of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said let there be light and there was light and God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day and God said let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it and it was so. And God called the vault sky and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear and it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas and God saw that it was good. So here we are, we launch into our Story, and we are thrown right uh, slap bang into all of the action. There's no hanging around. Uh, And one of the things that becomes increasingly clear as we read this first chapter and the chapters that follow is that actually, this is a story really all about relationship. Um, God has set himself to this creative work of uh, genius, and the outcome of all that he's doing is good. All of this is good. And it won't have escaped your attention that whoever the writer is, they don't seem to be concerned with a scientific explanation of how the universe came into existence, which a lot of us kind of wish that they had. You know, it would have been really a lot more helpful if they'd made it a little bit more scientifically accurate for us and for our brains. But again, what I was saying at the outset about this. Uh, it's important for us to remember that this is written for us and not to us. And, and so therefore, we need to perhaps think about not trying to impose our cultural expectations on the text and on their writing, just a, a thought. And, and, and instead, perhaps we might be asking the question, Is like, well, what are they actually trying to say rather than what do we wish that they had said? And, and what we actually discover in these early chapters of the Bible in this, is this narrative Um, first of all, all about God and his relationship with the world that he has created. And secondly, um, about humans and about their relationship with God and the world in which they find themselves. It's all about, really, the the, the nuts and bolts, it's all about the relationship. And so in these first uh, couple of chapters, at least, we're confronted with this unexpected, really, story of Relationship. You've got this vivid and beautiful depiction of this creative creator God who's created this world in which we find ourselves and he's done so with purpose and with goodness. Um, not necessarily a scientific explanation that satisfies our 21st century super brains, um, but nonetheless describes the kind of world in which we live and why it's here and why we're here and who God is and who we are to be to one another. And all of this is actually loud and clear and evident in Genesis um, 1 and 2. So with this in mind, let's have a look at how the story opens. Uh, Look back at verse one if you've still got it open in front of you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And this description um, of formless and void is actually it's a Hebrew term, and it doesn't mean um, it doesn't mean nothingness. It, it's much more like the idea of uncultivated. It's much more like the idea of chaos and chaotic. It's much more like the idea of sort of barren um, wilderness, if you like. So, according to the story, a very very long time ago, in a galaxy far far away, um, God finds the world in this chaotic barren wild state and Genesis 1 is all about God architecting and cultivating and creating a world of uh, meaning and purpose and beauty out of this barren wasteland. It's not so much really the story of God bringing something into physical existence before uh, there was nothing. It's much more about the way that God brings chaos into um, order and we're just kind of dropped into it and it's like it's a story that's already in progress because it doesn't really make very much sense on first reading and so we naturally find ourselves dropped into this and we find ourselves asking all sorts of questions like why is there all this chaos and where did this chaos come from and what's happened and why is everything formless and void and and what about the dinosaurs And, and all those kind of really important things but as the story unfolds, um, you know, as we read through the narrative of the scriptures, we'll eventually learn that there's, there's this great battle. There's this great battle that's already taken place way before Genesis chapter one. We'll discover that there's this um, evil being, this entity that's already on the loose in this chaotic wilderness way again before uh, we even get to Genesis one. And so for us, Genesis one is a bit like um, the opening scene of some great epic movie and we're, we're watching it and we don't really quite know what's happening yet and we're trying to work out what's happened and what is happening and what the heck's going on Genesis 1's a lot kind of like that but what we do know is that God is creatively and lovingly ordering the cosmos and what he's doing um, what he's creating we very quickly discover is good okay, that's like an under pinning of everything that we're reading. It's good. Have a look at verse 9. Let the water under the sky be gathered at one place. And then just a few lines later, God saw that it was good. Verse 11. Let the land produce vegetation. A little bit later, God saw that it was good. Verse 14. Let there be lights. And God said that it was good. Verse 20. Let the water teem with living creatures. God saw that it was good. Verse 24, let the land produce living creatures. And God saw that it was good. And then finally, verse 31, you've got this beautiful statement. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Good. In the creation narrative from Genesis, this, the world is woven together as this gracious endeavor at the hands of a kind creator God. And unlike many sort of parallel creation narratives uh, from around the time, the world, our world, according to the story from Genesis, doesn't begin as, as, as a sort of brutal carnage. Um, it actually begins good. Um, and as we, we'll see in a minute, you know, humans aren't created as God's slaves, um, which is the case for a lot of the other creation narratives of the time. We are created, according to the Genesis account, as God's partners. So let's get back to the story and see how that happens, the story of humanity. So far, this good world that God is creating, it's populated by um, plants and animals and birds and fish, and all these things are good, but there's more to come. Have a look at uh, chapter One verse 26 and God said let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them male and female he created them, God blessed them and said to them be fruitful increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is the story of the beginnings of humankind, us. You see, these early chapters of Genesis, they're not primarily about the beginning of the universe. They're not really about the beginning of the planet. They're not really even about the beginning of life on earth. It's, It's actually the story of humanity and humankind. God is... Preparing this incredible place, this beautiful place in which he might dwell with those who are made in his image. And together, they will um, shalom the planet. And what does that mean? Uh, Why is the planet in need of um, shaloming? Well, we'll get to more of that in a bit. I'm making words up, by the way, Um, just to see if you're awake. But in Genesis chapters 1 and chapter 2, we are God's um, covenant partners. We're in it together. You know, humanity, we, our ancestors, we're in, in, in relationship uninterrupted, as Kate said, you know, walking in the garden with the Lord in the cool of the day. We're in its intimate relationship with the protagonist, with the hero of the story. In Genesis chapter 1, God sets to work in uh, creating order and purpose to the cosmos um, and interestingly just like as an aside this this newly formed order that god is creating it's not static it's not fixed god's creation isn't meant to be like a painting you know like a, a snapshot it's not meant to be like a, a sculpture and um, it's ra- rather built into the fabric of creation are these endless limitless possibilities you know, there are seeds that can become plants, there's fruit that can become more fruit, there are animals that make more animals, there are, uh, later there are people who can make more people, and not only that, people who can make choices, which kind of doesn't go so well as we'll see next week, but people who can make choices. And the central features of the creation story are crucial because in and through them we begin to discover God's original intent for this creation that he's So in Genesis 1, we're introduced um, to a people and to a world that are going to be very significant, obviously, throughout the narrative arc of the rest of the story. And these people are specifically designed to fulfill God's purposes. And the implications and the possibilities of that are endless. And we ask, and we're looking at this, and we're like, going, you know, so who are these people? And, and like, how many of them are there? And like, what are they like? And what are these characters doing there? And, and where are they going? And are they going to be like living here like forever? Um, what's it all about? Because, you know, it seems like a lot of pages to dedicate to gardening if, if it's not about something else. Um, how, how is God going to move? his agenda. He's got this clear agenda. How is he going to move this purpose forward that he's sort of describing with so much certainty? How and what will the role that humanity will have to, to play in that? All of these are the questions that we sort of ask ourselves as we're reading this. And um, as we've seen in the story, the narrative repeatedly declares that, that God likes what he has made. It is, in God's own estimation, good. You know, simply enough, God likes what he's Made creation is this work that reveals and reflects God's goodness and his order and his intelligence it is by necessity a good thing now um, in the story by the time we get to verse 26 as God um, sets out to create humanity we read again we suddenly stumble into this thing of, of reading of God describing himself in the plural which is kind of weird but again tells us something important about this God that we're discovering in these early chapters because he says let us make mankind in our image and some scholars speculate that God might be referring to like some heavenly court or angels or messengers um, others uh, say that this could be a very early and beautiful hint at the The triune nature of God its a reflection of the the Trinity. But either way, whichever one's right, as the story begins, what we're seeing here is that God is doing something relational. It's all about relationship. That's why the crux of the story is actually all about relationship. His creative activity is relational. This we work that God uh, is doing is creating humanity. He's making uh, humans in uh, his image or in his likeness. You know, he designs the plants and the animals according to their kind, but he designs humans according to his kind. And when the second chapter of Genesis begins, um, the writer focuses in and homes in on two particular characters. And the the first one the writer calls um, Adam, literally um, uh, the Adam. So have a look at uh, Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And then skip over to verse 18. The Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And the word Adam in Hebrew is, um, is a word that basically means humanity. And like all names in the Old Testament, both Adam and Eve, they've got very specific meaning and very specific purpose. So The Israelite author who wrote Genesis, he intentionally names Adam, Adam or human. His name is human and he intentionally names Eve, Eve. Her name is Eve, which means life. Um, Her name is life. And so Adam and Eve, human, life, man and woman. And the first chapter of Genesis uh, centers on the creative ordering of a garden and then in chapter 2 it focuses on the relationship between the man and the woman who live there in this garden now up to this point in the story everything has been good by God's own uh, declaration everything is good the first instance of something not being good arrives in um, chapter 2 verse 18 Uh, verse 18 says this the Lord says it is not good for the man to be alone, so it's interesting that prior to the fall, which we 'll look at next week, you know in a time and a place that many of us assume was created perfect, God identifies something as not good this is the first insufficiency um, or lack prior to the entrance of human evil in the story. Mankind is created with a certain sense of loneliness. A loneliness that God intends to fulfill with um, relationships that are both human and divine. We are designed incomplete. Um, without relationships, without friendships, without community or family or romance or love and affection, we are lacking something primal connection with other people connection with God himself is what we are made for and of course like our commission to rule over the earth with loving goodness this not goodness this loneliness um, is something that carries on to uh, throughout right to this very day it is still not good for human beings to be alone, none of us can be fully human in isolation. We are always, all of us, intended for a whole variety of relationships, and right relationships resolve the not good of our loneliness. So, consequently, here in the story, God creates woman, and uh, Adam and Eve, off they go. Now. Notice something else wonderful about this story. In the, in the narrative, God is um, depicted as this fantastic, powerful creator of all things. And he's depicted as, and described as this relational being who interacts with his creation in this, these incredible displays of intimacy. Again, as Kate said, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. You know, he's not content to sort of create and then fly off and disappear into. The clouds and withdraw from the scene, God chooses his inclination, his desire, his yearning, his want is to interact with and to know his people and to know the world that he has created and to see how it is developing and humanity, as i 've said alone, we share god 's image or god 's likeness and Especially um, in the ancient sort of Near East, you'll have had this. I've talked about this before. You know, kings and ancient rulers would often place um, sculptures or um, engravings of themselves. You know, at the far, far corners of their empires, um, basically to act as a visual signifier that um, you were entering the dominion of a certain king or a certain um, ruler. And in exactly the same way, humanity, we are designed to bear God's image or God's likeness as an indication that we are in and under the rule and reign of the kingdom. And the way that humanity flourishes, the design for the flourishing of the world and for humanity, was that we would extend God's collaborative rule and reign over the whole earth. That was the mandate. That's the cultural mandate of Shalom that we'll look at now. God's invitation to um, Adam and Eve and to us was um, to develop all of the possibilities, all of the potential, um, everything that sort of lies within the raw materials of this planet that we find ourselves on in ways that would reflect the goodness and the glory of the creator, God. Um, and we're supposed to do that. With humanity is supposed to have dominion over the earth in a way that is um, reflective of the way that God's rule and reign would have been extended. God himself has entrusted to us the land and the water and the air and the plants and the animals and, 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 and all of it, the whole kit and caboodle, it's all been entrusted into our hands. And in, do, in doing so, what he's doing is he's saying, I'm giving you, people, humanity, the task um, to be like me, God, and to take the kingdom, God's kingdom, God's kingdom shalom to the planet, and shalom has been uh, described as this. It's been described as the webbing together of God, of humans, and of all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. That's what the Old Testament prophets called um, shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than peace of mind or ceasefire among enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal, flourishing, wholeness, and delight. And this is an essential part of our humanity this isn't it's not it sounds like it's just unachievable particularly like in our current climate but this is not an unachievable ideal and nor is it something that we relinquished you know when um, evil came on the scene woven throughout and um, humanity's collective DNA is this mandate to steward and care for creation and the planet and the world in which we find ourselves in such a way that God's own concern for creation is represented through us as his image bearers. And this God-given appointment, it precedes the fall, which means that it is very much an aspect and part of our original design and God's original intention and hope for us as humanity and uh, this command to rule over and develop the world is what theologians call the cultural mandate and reminds us again that this whole creation thing wasn't a static thing it's not fixed it wasn't created complete it wasn't intended to just stay that way instead the world was and is going somewhere it's going in a direction it's supposed to be going in a redemptive direction Um, and our identity as those who bear God's image includes that assignment to ensure that the world is directed towards this God-honoring, kingdom-focused direction. You see, everything in um, humanity's great potential is all supposed to be brought under the rule and the reign of God. And that doesn't matter whether it's art or business or relationships, whatever it is, it's all supposed to be brought under the rule and reign of the kingdom. And so what we do as image bearers is we, we reflect all of that. We reflect that created and creative order. And we've been given this, alongside that, we've been given this kind of moral and intellectual and emotional and relational capacity to fulfill this whole calling, to rule over the world. So when people, when we steward God's creation effectively, it's supposed to reflect and enhance and advance God's reputation. Does that make sense? When art and business and concerned, when those things are done properly, when they're done effectively, God's reputation will be advanced. People will look at that and go, oh my gosh, look at that. That's like a reflection. That's an image. That's a signpost. That's a pointer. That's an illustration of who God is. So what does it mean for us to rule and reign over creation as a reflection of God's goodness? How are we doing? Uh, Um, so does it mean for example does it, does it mean that um, God is concerned you know do you think that God is concerned uh, with the way humanity is conducting itself in the 21st century do you think God is concerned with um, I don't know the way that we are destroying the planet is that something that's on his radar do you think? Do you think God looks down from wherever he may find himself and, you know, I don't know, looks at a, a factory farm with hundreds of thousands of animals who are born uh, to a life of absolute uh, misery and suffering uh, just for a burger or a pair of shoes? Does that bother him? Does that interest him? Does that concern to him? Do you think? Do these things advance? God's reputation when those things are going on and a gazillion other things um, are they indicative of God's original plan and purpose for creation for the world for mankind for humanity do those things reflect the kind of gracious and loving king that God is and or do some of the things that humanity has done with creation actually more accurately reflect humanity's lost vision and purpose to rule over and reign over the earth as God intended. Um, one, thing I think is, one of the things I think is interesting is that we're created um, as humans before we become disciples of Jesus, if that makes sense. And we don't cease to be humans um, post-discipleship. Yeah, we, be, we come to Jesus, absolutely, and we are transformed with ever-increasing glory into the image of Jesus. But we never lose our humanity. And God, I believe, will hold us accountable for our humanity as much as he will hold us accountable for our Christianity. Does that make sense? Because there are things that we've been commanded by God to do as human beings. And I don't think the Bible ever uh, repeals or exempts us from any of those things that we find in the original mandate that we've just looked at in Genesis uh, chapters 1 and 2. On the contrary, because we are now God's people, because we have encountered Jesus, because we have surrendered our lives to him at the cross, therefore actually... Um, as part of a newly redeemed humanity, we have an even greater duty and obligation and sense of purpose to be living by the original mandate that God has actually laid down and set before us. Does that make sense? Ruling and serving creation is um, humanity's first mission on earth. And, And I don't think and can't see that God's ever repealed that mandate. And the Old Testament specifically includes um, creation within its sort of vision of God's redemptive purposes. And um, this is a theme that comes again and again and again in the chapters that, that will follow. And and this vision to redeem creation is, is never one, again this is just something we need to keep on saying, this vision to redeem creation is never one that involves whisking us all off to some... Um, happy cloud in, a, in the sky somewhere else. You know, that we're all actually going to get extracted from this planet and find ourselves somewhere that's waiting for us with um, clouds and gold and angels and all that kind of malarkey. Um, this is a, the, the redemptive plan that's talked about in the scriptures is, is, is a redemptive plan for people with and within creation and it's a plan for creation itself it, it's here it's right here and now it, like this stuff matters you know in Romans Paul says um, the entire creation is, is groaning in anticipation for the day when Jesus the king will restore and redeem everything and that future reality that groaning in anticipation should be in us as well and it should fuel our desire and our hope and shape our thinking as to what we're actually about in the present. God's redemptive mission in, in, involves, very much involves um, creation, and our mission involves participating in that redemptive work as agents of good news to creation and to people. Yeah, we're good news to everybody, we're good news to everything. And that good news has extended uh, to us and impacted most of us and you know in the beginning of our story we've got this story of a good world uh, and it is still good but it's not all good anymore Um, the whole of humanity including you and I every single one of of us has contributed directly to its ruin and we need to wake up to that fact and take responsibility for that fact what does that um, mean for us You know, um, how do we not just like simply know about, but we how do we actively participate in this part of the story of God? Here are three. uh, I promise, they're very quick considerations for us. I think the first thing is that we need to do. We do need to remember that the world is good, and it's hard to do that when we look around us. But at its core, the world is good. The opening scenes of the biblical narrative reveal this unfolding of a good and beautiful world. And though the world is wounded and um, absolutely it is still good and we are still here you know as i said the bible ends um, the story ends not up in the clouds but here on earth in this world and our lives are here our future is here and so our concern is to be for here our mission is for here our focus is for here we aren't anxiously awaiting some great escape you know just like sitting around watching it all burn because we don't really care because we're all going to get whisked off into the sky we are participants in the new creation here and now and we are anxiously awaiting the day when that redemptive work will come to its fulfillment when Jesus uh, returns but we should be thinking about the goodness of the original creation of the world and wondering and asking ourselves how do we restore that how do we add to that how do we uh, augment that because what we do here matters you know this uh, the earthly stuff matters the choices we make matter and and that kind of is a bit my second thought is that god is actually concerned about like what we do you know the kind of work we do um and by work i don't mean like necessarily like our 9 to 5 if there is such a thing, paid uh, jobs. Uh, I just mean like vocationally, just, uh, you know, whether you're a teacher or you're an ecologist or you're a a mum or a dad or an artist, whatever it is you may be and whatever it is and however it is that we find ourselves living, God is concerned with the way that we relate as individuals to creation, to the creation narrative and story. Like from the way that we care for the marginalized and for the oppressed, all the way through to the way that we care about um, the ozone and the animal kingdom, the whole caboodle, all of it. We are to be paying attention to all of those things. That's the cultural mandate to rule and to reign over all creation and it hasn't been revoked. And then finally, we're made and we're designed to go about this great endeavor and this great adventure and this great mandate and this great mission, should you choose to accept it, um, to shalom the planet, I I don't think that shalom is actually a verb, um, but it is now, okay? Uh, So, um, go shaloming, Uh, but we are supposed to be shaloming uh, the planet in the context of relationships in the context of our relationship with God, in the context of our relationship with, other, with one another. We're not supposed to be doing this on our own, you know. And we're not supposed to be just doing that with like a bunch of strange people that we think are friends because they follow us on Twitter or because we've got 25 gazillion people on our Facebook accounts. Um, we're supposed to be doing that in meaningful, profound, committed relationships, the context of a real community, a real family, um, connected to God's entire family um, around the world as we care for God's good world and as we share his story. As I said, the, the Genesis story says that the world is good, it's just broken. But God hasn't given up on it and neither should we. We are still God's people. We are still mandated for stewardship of the world. And yes, we are long awaiting its renewal. But that's why we are to care about mission and justice and renewal and community and relationships and, 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 and. And this story from Genesis right from its beginning, it's a reminder, don't get hung up on the scientific gaps and inaccuracies or the things that are missing. Don't miss what was never being hoped to be communicated in the first place. Don't just write it off and say it's irrelevant. Therefore I never need to read it. Um, it is a reminder of who we were meant to be and who we still are and who God uh, has invited us to become. Uh, it reminds us of where we've come from uh, and it reminds us of where we're going. And so this whole creation narrative is really like a signpost. It's a, it's a pointer. It points us towards this great future it points us towards this redeemed um, cosmos it it inspires us and motivates us and compels us when we look around us and we just feel like all is lost and the world is so dark it's like "No, no 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 I'm coming I'm coming to restore I'm coming to renew keep going keep going keep carrying out your acts of redemption wherever it is that you may find yourself why don't you stand